This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Robert Feckus at Nurser330 on Instagram. Nice. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic via genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com. You can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at Facebook.com slash TheObsessiveViewer. I'm your host, the aforementioned Matt Hurt, and with me today is recurring co-host, Mr. Robert Feckus. Hello! Hello! How's it going on this fine nondescript day of the year? It is going well. Nice. Um... I, I was going to make a stupid, <laughs> stupid joke. Notice there was a bit of a spring in your step. Uh, ha. <laughs> um, you know, it's... I'm still reel, re- reeling from the revelation that Thanos was dead the entire time. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which you found out in Vegas, which is a trip that you've already taken. That I already yeah. went, yes. It's been great. <laughs> um, of course, you know, I'm married to... Uh, I can't even think. Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe it. Shock of the world. Yeah. God, I'm going to pay for that one. I don't remember <laughs> your name. Um, <laughs> You're going to be sleeping on your new couch tonight. Hey. hey, hey. <laughs> too real. Too real. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, this is the Obsessive Viewer. Um, we are recording this in advance, so that's why we're idiots. <laughs> we are, this is our first episode in a series of episodes that is going to be a retrospective on the, uh, directing work of Mr. Quentin Tarantino in preparation for his new film that's coming out soon, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which at the time of this recording, I <laughs> I mentioned to you right before we recorded. Don't make mention of it or anything. Right. I've done it like four times already. The, I, I, what the, the suspension of disbelief is gone. Exactly. Um, but it's fine because, like, what did you think of the trailer? Because I haven't actually talked to you about the trailer. Oh, it's it yeah. just looks fantastic. Mm. I I like that it's kind of going back where it appears to be going back to kind of a Pulp Fiction style mm. of multiple storylines colliding. Yeah. So I I'm I'm excited. Totally. And at this point in our lives, uh, it's, we'll go ahead and say it. It's April 3rd. 3rd and, uh, we've had the first trailer for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood come out, uh, recently. Two, we- so. two weeks ago, I think two it was. Two weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and it looks, it looks like it's a lot of fun. The cast is incredible. So it really is. I'm, and also the, uh, the setting, the, the time, like it in like 1969 Hollywood. Uh, really appealing to me, and sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Yep. Yeah. Everyone um, looks like they have a whole lot of fun making the movie too. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Um. So super pumped for that, and so this is our first in a planned trilogy of Quentin Tarantino episodes in the lead up to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Today we're going to be talking about his first three films: uh, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and Jackie Brown. Um. And yeah, so let's kind of dive into it first. Uh, Fekus, what did you like? What's your relationship to Quentin Tarantino? So Quentin Tarantino's movies started coming out when I was probably, 
I want to say around 11 or 12 ish. Mm. I want to say. So obviously I, you know, my parents didn't take me to go see Reservoir Do- Dogs in the theater. So I didn't start uh, watching Tarantino films until uh, late high school, early college. Mm. And I, I immediately fell in love with his style. I, I want to credit like uh, Tarantino's to being one of the directors that actually pull me into just a kind of like a, a mo- just a big movie fan nice. like the, like his style and I, and i want to say you know pulp fiction was probably the first one that i saw and mm-hmm. i want to say that, that was the movie that really got me into film nice i uh i would say i'm kind of similar pulp fiction is was one of the movies that kind of blew me away when i saw it in high school for the first time and reservoir dogs i wasn't too crazy about when i saw it because i don't i don't know i just when i was a kid i was still formulating my taste and everything and it just didn't really work for me the way that like pulp fiction did um but i uh have come around to that as we'll talk about later in this episode but uh i do want to share a stupid anecdote from uh my life but uh pulp fiction like when it came out in like 94 i think it was 94 yeah um i was like eight years old and i lived in ohio uh, with my family, of course. And one of our neighbors told us the joke, the ketchup joke. <laughs> um, like as like, like, like he was like the neighbor was just telling us the joke. Um, and like, I, like for some reason that joke always stuck with me. Like, Oh, that's kind of funny. It's the greatest joke ever. Yeah. And then I, I <laughs> years later, I'm in a different state and I watch Pulp Fiction, and I'm like, that motherfucker, <laughs> he passed that joke off like it was his own. And I sat there, and I, I tracked down the, the timing and everything. He must have just gone to the theater and seen that movie. That son of a bitch. Yeah. Long story short so. is, uh, though, Matt has a restraining order out against uh, him from a guy in Ohio. So. Yes, that's true. Yep. Uh, I have no idea what his name was or anything. <laughs> um, I think it was like a friend of mine's parent or something. I don't remember the friend. So, sure you don't. You know. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, so yeah, so, uh, yeah, I don't, I didn't really take to Tarantino the way everyone else kind of seemed to, well, that's not fair. Cause I've really loved Pulp Fiction, but, um, I kind of have grown into a mindset where it's kind of like he's more style over substance for me. And I'm kind of, are you at that point now? Yes. Yeah, so a, l- a little bit. Oof. Yeah, it's it's this is going to be an interesting project, I should say, because like okay, I I love his storytelling. The way that he can construct a scene almost entirely around dialogue with minimal action and like he can have it he can have a scene where it's just two characters sitting like at in a in a like in, in a, a house di- in a diner or Yeah. And just having a conversation, it can be the most tense thing. I'm thinking in particular of like Inglorious Bastards. Um, it can be like the most intense scene is just dialogue. Like I, that isn't, that is a, that is an art. Um, like he, like there, it's, it's something that is incredibly clever in his techniques and style and everything. But it's also, I think part of it might be, um, and I'm not saying that this is how I feel, but I think part of it might be influenced by, uh, kind of how much P. 
people love Tarantino. Like it's like die hard, like a die hard fandom for Tarantino. You've grown past the Tarantino fandom. So, you're, like, you're like, oh yeah. I mean, he's he's good, but he's no right. insert reference of more obscure director. Yeah, he <laughs> he's no French New Wave director yeah. of so and so. Um, <laughs> he's no Kurosawa. Um, oh. But, but I kind of think that it's not necessarily that I'm like, I'm scoffing at it because, because he's popular or anything. It's more like a, like, I'm, I'm not my level of, um, interest in his work and enjoyment of his work isn't on the same level of like the diehard fans. And I kind of feel like I'm at like a disadvantage there, if that makes sense. Like people like live and breathe by Tarantino's work. And I'm like, yeah, I'll watch them. Like I watch them maybe every couple years, give or take. Well, that's maybe that's not Man, that's more passive than I would have given. Th- yeah. I would have thought for you. I- yeah. Like there, I, I, here's what I'll say. His movies are not ones that I go back to and throw on in the background or anything, or like they, I don't revisit them as much as I, uh, maybe should, because I mean, his, his work is really impressive, but it's not something that I, revisit um that often interesting yeah so that's why i'm excited to do this because it kind of gives me a good excuse to kind of realign my opinion of him like there's several of his films that are in my Mm -hmm. rotation of rewatches nice so yeah and i can't really i can't really speak to why that is for me because like pulp fiction i think is like for my tastes as a as a consumer of media, I would say it's as it's about as close to like a perfectly constructed movie as you can get, and far as far as entertainment value and dialogue and everything, um, like I get I get as much entertainment out of Pulp Fiction as I do like any of my like favorite movies of all time, um, yeah, but. Uh, I don't really revisit it that often. <laughs> yeah, that's one. So, of the, I I probably watch Pulp Fiction a couple times a year. Interesting, huh? Well, yeah, I don't know. Fair enough. But yeah, but maybe by the end of this uh, trio of episodes, and as we go into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I'll be singing his praises and and uh, wanting him to take creepy photographs of my feet or whatever yeah um, he does have a foot he fetish. does yeah there was an article that i read that was someone claiming claiming to have had a one night stand with him or it, like he had picked them up at a bar or something and she was talking about how he was very like he like he was very much involved with her feet and wanted her wanted him wanted her to jerk jerk him off with it with her feet it's called a foot job matt yeah watch some porn well i <laughs> that's the other podcast i'm starting <laughs> um, but it's like it, like there were it was funny to read the uh sexual ex- exploits uh alleged of uh quentin tarantino uh, fair enough I, yeah. I i don't find that all that surprising foot enough <laughs> fair, <laughs> foot, uh, i don't no got nothing yeah. um yeah really yeah, towing the line on that one <laughs> ah. nice uh heel i don't i don't know <laughs> uh yeah oh by the way i heard well this is not worthy of the podcast or whatever but i heard one of the one of the dogs retired yep yep yeah. tom uh tom's last day was yesterday oh so, That's in fact, our dog handler is 
on his way up to Canada, mm-hmm. uh, I think today or tomorrow, nice. to uh, pick up the new pup that wow. he's going to have. So. Uh, brief aside, like what happens to Tom? He just lives out the rest of his days with Matt, oh, okay. our canine handler. Nice. So he's pretty much just he's a pet hmm. for wow. the you know until he passes. Yeah, huh? That that's how my dad was with his uh, dog, his uh, canine dog yeah. Thunder. That's um, that's typical. The dogs are no longer working. The department pretty much signs the uh, the the pup over to the canine handler mm-hmm. and. Matt will treat him well for the rest of his days. So he's basically transitioning into being like a pet as opposed to a canine officer. Right. So would you say that he's got a petchin from the department? Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Now I have to keep that in. Anyway, instead of, it's instead a, good of a transition pension. to reservoir dogs. <laughs> so, reservoir dogs, yeah, yeah, that is a good transition. God damn it. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so reservoir dogs. Uh, reservoir dogs was his first uh, movie, 1992. Um, he did do like a. I, I'm not as well prepared as I would have liked. He's got to writing be. credits for uh, Natural Born Killers. Yo, yeah, was that before Reservoir Dogs? I am fairly certain that it. Um, was. if it wasn't, it was right around Reservoir Dogs. Uh, he has uh, Natural Born Killers was a year or two after. It was like two okay, years after. okay, ninety four is when Natural Born Killers. Came yeah, out. and he had a writing credit for True Romance in ninety three, so a year after Reservoir Dogs. But he did have a written and uh, writing and directing credit for uh, co writing and directing directing credit for a uh, movie called My Best Friend's Birthday, which is uh, clearly like a student film type of thing. Um, which I kind of wish I could have found, um, but I'm not that interested in it, really, to be I, honest. I feel like that that's not one of those things that, I'm, while I'm sure in some way he's proud of that, it's not mm-hmm. one of the things that is commonly viewed by everyday filmgoers anyway. Yeah. An interesting piece of trivia about it is the camera would be rented on Friday because the rental company wasn't open on weekends. This meant they could pay for one day and get it for three. Nice. <laughs> so that's awesome. And uh, also, apparently, the movie later became the basis for uh, True Romance. Interesting. Yeah. Um, huh. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but we're talking about Reservoir Dogs. Uh, to kind of get us kicked off here... Do you? What is your? What is your uh, position on tipping? <laughs> that that <laughs> conversation makes me so angry because <laughs> yeah. it's just so ridiculous. It, it really I was like, is. You just you're because a why piece would of anyone shit. tip? Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, obviously it's yeah. Uh, tip your waitresses, guys, or wait staff, I should say. Uh, the, right? Neutral. Yeah. Yes. Gender neutral. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, God, and, like, it's, by design, it's, like, supposed to piss us right. off. And it, but it's a great, it's, it's an amazingly written conversation. Oh, absolutely. And Steve Buscemi, ah, I, lo- I love oh, him in this movie. Me too. Like, he's and he's so, perfect. He's, gr- he's great, he's squirrely, but he's also, like, the, kind of the voice of reason right, uh, yeah. in it. It's just, it's a really well-crafted uh, uh, character for for him, and I love in the in the tipping scene when uh, uh, Lawrence Tierney 
comes back after paying the paying the bill and like he's like oh wait who didn't throw in and then uh they're like oh mr pink doesn't tip and then he's like the fuck are you talking about i paid for your food you're gonna you're gonna throw in like cheap bastard um really really great um and this is something that we'll probably talk about here and there throughout this entire series but quentin tarantino as an actor um oh so you know interesting he actually wanted to play mr pink did he really he did and he just would have been awful yeah i I do not enjoy quentin tarantino as an actor like same here like his role in reservoir dogs is just Mm -hmm. short though it is it's kind of annoying Uh like he's he, he's like that guy that doesn't fit into the group, right? But is trying really hard to fit into the group. But is the one that is paying everyone's. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, like, is, <laughs> he's the boss. <laughs> uh, I agree, and like I'm, I'm kind of nervous to see how his cameos and bit parts through his movies uh, evolve throughout this whole thing. Because like I remember just well, kind of cringing. It's fu- at he doesn't have a cameo in every movie. That's true. He doesn't have one in Jackie Brown. I was wondering, did he do the did he do the voice of the answering machine? I didn't look it up. If he did, um, I, I feel like that's obscure enough that it yeah. it's not even relevant. Mm-hmm. He's he doesn't have any cameos in the Kill Bills. Oh yeah, that's right. He doesn't have a cameo in Inglorious Bastards. He has a cameo mm-hmm. in uh, Django, mm-hmm. which that's the one that kind of made me cringe a little bit because doesn't he he try to do like an Australian Australian accent? accent yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I honestly, I can't recall if he had one in, uh, Hateful Eight. Um, oh man. And that's the one that I, I've watched recently. Like I watched that back in like January. Oh yeah. He's, uh, the narrator. And Jackie Brown. Oh, uh, in, in the hate, wait, the Hateful Eight. You said the Hateful Eight, right? Yeah. I said I wasn't sure if he was in that one or not. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he has an uncredited one in Inglorious Bastards, just as, like, first scalped Nazi. <laughs> you know what? That's right. I forgot mm. about that. You, that's that's a fitting cameo for him. He doesn't yeah. say anything, he's getting scalped. Right. Uh, I forgot about oh, that one. he does do the voice of the answering machine in Jackie Brown. Gotcha. Um, I, th- I thought that that was him. Um, yeah, so, by the way, we're going to really only be doing his directed feature, so we're not going to really touch on, like, True Romance or From Dust Till Dawn or anything. Um, maybe when we do Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we can do that as like potpourri or something. I don't know. But anyway, uh, yeah. So what did you think overall of Reservoir Dogs? And like, what was your first, your first impression of it when you first saw it? Like, what context did you first see it in? And how does it hold up now? Some 20 some odd years later. Jesus. Like 27 years. Seven. Yep. So I, I, I'm fairly certain I saw Reservoir Dogs in college, mm-hmm. and I and it was definitely the second Tarantino film I watched, and I think I watched it because a, a friend of mine in college was just absolutely nuts about the movie. I see. And I figured I should watch it anyway because I love Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. I don't recall having a strong reaction towards Reservoir Dogs. Mm. The more I've watched it over the years, the more my... uh opinion of it has evolved mm-hmm. you know at one point i thought it was is an amazing movie i'm at to the point now in my watching that it's a it, it's a good movie it's a very good movie yeah and i i especially respect it for the low budget and just kind of yeah. uh grassroots means of getting it produced so 
as it stands now, it's a very enjoyable film. I think it has some great dialogue and an amazing performance from uh, Steve Buscemi. I agree, and you heard it here first, guys. Robert Feckus really approves of the work of the Weinsteins with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, was it? Was it? Hashtag him it? too. Yeah. No. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it was. I'm pretty sure. It was yeah, because Weinstein, Weinstein yeah. Company. Um. Yeah, I I am kind of in the same boat. I saw it when I was in high school, and I kind of, I think I'm, I may be repeating stuff I said earlier, but um, wasn't as taken with it because it was also my second Tarantino movie um, after Pulp Fiction, and Pulp Fiction is such a well realized like um, I don't want to say studio film, but it's like a like it's got that prestige to it. It, it does. Is, it's amazing how yeah. far the production value went between Absolutely. Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And so that's not something back in my earlier, you know, in my college mm-hmm. days, I really appreciated as much right. what what filmmakers did with mm-hmm. limited budgets. Yeah. And, and so, but I understand that now, mm-hmm. and it makes my appreciation for the movie be- more. Like I appreciate it more. Oh, absolutely. And like when you're first seeing it, when you're kind of kind of young and forming your opinion and stuff, it's like when you see it after Pulp Fiction. Like at least I went into it thinking like, oh, this is this is Tarantino's first movie. This is going to be mind blowing. Right. And like it's it's got that cleverness to it. Like his his clever writing and everything is is really great. But the way that it like it's all it all takes place after the heist like right before the right before the robbery and then right after um and it's all kind of these different uh storylines converging together it's like it kind of seems like a like a prototype for the storytelling in pulp fiction i actually read um, a tidbit that the part of the reason they never showed the heist is because the cost. Yeah. Yeah. So the cost. I've heard of, that too. Yeah, so, it, which totally makes sense. But it works for the film. Yeah. Because oh, absolutely. It's, it, it's almost like, in a sense, the hangover. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't see the ridiculousness that causes, you know, this incident, but yeah. we see the aftermath of it. Exactly. And, and that's actually, in, in my opinion, makes it that much more strong. Or absolutely. that makes it a stronger film. Absolutely. And it also forces the script to do to like work overtime to make it like is by default we're like missing out on what is conventionally like the most entertaining part of any heist movie but the heist yeah. the heist yeah so the actual like the movie has to work overtime to like be better than what our imagination can be it, like it's um, like for instance the the heist going the way it was, the way it went was Mr. Blonde just going psychotic inside yeah. the uh, the jewelry store. And that's one of the things we don't get to see, but we get Harvey Keitel's like, description oh and God. Steve Buscemi's yeah. uh, reaction to mm-hmm. it. So you kind of get a feel f- for what happened just through their dialogue, and it's very impressive. Absolutely. And also with uh, Michael Madsen's performance as mr blonde like he's oh he he's amazing you know what michael madsen is one of those guys that is great in tarantino films absolutely but you don't see him in anything else because he does like fucking red box originals (laughs) yeah Yeah. the only other movie that i remember michael madsen being in and actually thinking man he did a great job Mm -hmm. that wasn't a tarantino film was white earp he, oh, he, wow. he played Virgil Earp and Wyatt Earp. Okay, and I, I I'm a big Jeez. fan of that movie. But Michael mm-hmm. Madsen, I thought, does a great job in that role. But if it's not huh. Tarantino, like he, he just, I don't know what it is about his yeah 
if is he difficult to work with? I, I don't know. Mm. Like it could be a number of things, I suppose. Yeah. But it, it's weird that how great he is in Tarantino films, but you just don't see him anywhere else. Oh, absolutely! Like I'm looking through his IMDb list now, and it's like, like he's working. He's yeah. just working with movies that you're going to see on Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Yeah, he's in Megalodon. <laughs> Uh, like Megalodon, like the TV movie, not the not Meg. Not the Meg. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I don't remember a Meg. No. Wow. Yeah, and nothing is really jumping out as something that uh, I watched him in that I enjoyed that wasn't a Tarantino movie. That's kind of sad because, like you said, he is he is talented. I do like him when he's good. Um, it just seems like he doesn't really have that opportunity um, to be in something good. Uh God, I'm really excited. I'm I'm excited to get to the Hateful Eight because I know you've had you had some. Uh, well, I haven't seen it since the first time I saw it. Right. So, like, I'll, I'm obviously going to watch it for the podcast, but mm-hmm. I, I'll keep an open mind for it. Nice. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Um, yeah. So the cast is the cast in this movie is great. Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi, Lawrence Tiernan. Uh, I just, heard Lawrence Tarrant was not a peach to work with. Oh, really? Yeah. That doesn't that doesn't surprise. He has this like he would not refuse to. He like refused to learn his lines. And, like it was just kind of a dick the whole time. Is what I kind of read. Which jeez, I guess that kind of is fitting to his character. Yeah, yeah. I honestly, whenever I hear that, I I don't understand it. Like, like, how well, you know, every not, job has dickheads. that's very true that is you know acting is just another job yeah that's that's true personalities yeah but you would think like that profession would be more humbling than others really that no of all professions i find like in theory because like it's a it's i'm thinking in terms of my own like mindset like if i know that like my work is going to be observed by people and like it's like i'm if i'm if i'm like in the spotlight or whatever nothing, eh, nothing about that loud. seems humbling at all huh. yeah have you have, have you read anything about hollywood actors no no uh. i've just i've heard that hollywood is a really nice town yeah. and <laughs> really uh uh really great um <laughs> uh but yeah i don't know oh i i guess i can understand i I've, i'm a total diva when it comes to the podcast so it's true yeah it's true yep um so uh yeah i I mean i basically force you to come over and record after after you after worked after slid away at work he's like yes oh you're hungry tough shit <laughs> you eat when you're done <laughs> oh, okay matt yeah sorry i've got like cookies or something in there if you want some i try to eat healthy matt okay well i have bread to well that's not <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have anything. That That's healthy. fine. I don't need yeah. any food. I got food at home. Okay. Okay. So Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. Back to that. Yes. Um. The way. Let's talk about Tim Roth's character. Uh. uh Mr. Oh my God. Mr. Orange. Mr. Orange. You know, yeah. I almost uh, of all the performances, uh, Tarantino aside, I always I almost feel that Tim Roth was a little over the top in some of his uh, portions. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. Especially like when he's in the backseat of the car. Yeah, yeah. He, he, I, I feel that he's a bit rough, and I, and I mm-hmm. later on, you kind of get a sense why that was happening. But yeah. even still, it was a bit much. Yeah, and 
I don't want to make excuses for, but I kind of wonder if part of that is the low budget, like, like the sound design in that in that scene isn't the best, and maybe that could maybe have some kind of factor in it. Maybe, but you know, I don't think that really goes into his overreaction right. to the situation. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. Um, but uh, other than that, I, I feel like in the other scenes he's doing, I think mm-hmm. he does a fine job. Yeah, and I like Tim Roth, I really do. Oh, me too. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that he wasn't like an abomination. In, ah. <laughs> Um, I liked his character in that movie for the record. I do, I do too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So hopefully you don't lie to me when I bring up this next point. Um, he had a TV show. He had a TV yeah. show named Lie to Me. Lie to me. Um, apparently really good. I used to work with a guy whose son wrote for that show. No shit. That's yeah. neat. Um, I don't remember his name, his first name. Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, f- uh, we should decide here. Are we going to be spoiling these movies? Yeah, these. I okay. mean, this is a twenty-seven-year-old movie. Mm-hmm. Hateful Eight was like five years ago, four or five oh years my ago. God. So we're spoiling these. Mm-hmm. That's that's crazy to think that it go- that there's that big of a time gap. You know what? I I can Tarantino appreciate that because Tar- you know. He's one of those filmmakers who's not going to put out a movie just for the sake of putting out a movie. That's true. That's true. In other words, can you believe that it's been <laughs> this long since... Because there's time, and can you believe it's... So, Reservoir Dogs. Let's uh-huh. spoil this. <laughs> um, all right. Spoilers on for Reservoir Dogs. Um, I'll I'll include like a spoiler warning before we get into it. So... Uh, Okay, when we review these three movies and each movie in this retrospective, we are going to be spoiling each movie. So if you haven't seen Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, or Jackie Brown, go watch them and then come back and listen to this. Uh, we'll be spoiling each movie in their respective ones. So if you want to skip around to movies that you have seen, check the show notes for the timestamps and uh, enjoy our reviews of these movies. So spoilers for Reservoir Dogs. What did you think of kind of... The last half of the movie, essentially. Well, I, I, I love Mr. Blonde's uh, portion where he yeah. he just shows up mm-hmm. at the uh, at the safe house. His deal with uh, the police officer he kidnapped, mm-hmm. I thought was really not fun because he's torturing right. a police officer, but it was a really good scene. It's like the big set piece of the movie. It, it really is, yeah. and the uh, you know the the eventual payoff of. Him just getting gunned down by Mister mm. Orange. Yeah, God, that was that was so satisfying. It was. That was just God damn it. That was great because he's a piece of shit. It's just a yeah. literal piece of shit. Oh yeah, um, yeah, but but I kind of like him. Like he's no, just, no, he's he's, he's a horrible character, yeah. but one that you enjoy because right. he's he plays it that character so well. Yeah. So it's 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 not like you're like, yeah, I fucking want to torture some police officers right. and shoot some diamond sales lady. No, it's just he's that's his role and he does a great job at it. He's a mm-hmm. good character to hate. Oh, absolutely. Um in the turn where it's revealed that that Mr. Orange was the was the inside man and he's the cop. Um as as someone in law enforcement yourself, how did you feel about that turn? <laughs> uh, that I mean suspension of disbelief that sort of mm-hmm. undercover uh work doesn't really happen in, oh. in that manner uh but it's it's a fun <laughs> it's a fun way of it's a fun gag for the movie not gag but mm. it, it, it's a fun write in for the movie sure you know 
no, no, not everyone knows the ins and outs of, you know, undercover police worker mm-hmm. or things like that. No, they're not going to set a uh, undercover police officer to go commit a felony, <laughs> especially, yeah, especially with guns and mm-hmm. possibility of someone getting shot and killed. But you know, it, it works for the movie. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm okay with it. And I, and I like, uh, Tim Roth getting prepped by his partner for, yeah. uh, for the job too. Mm-hmm. So the, his fun, his telling of his little antidote was, yeah. is a good inclusion to that, that character in the backstory. So no, I, I appreciate it on a movie going level. Mm-hmm. Um, in my personal experience, I, I have no law enforcement experience, but sometimes when I come home, uh, my cat pizza is laying under the covers of my bed. Um, and so like, I like to pretend that she thinks that she's like, she, that she's saying like, Oh, I'm undercover. And like, ah. and, like when I lift up the blanket and I'm like, Hey pizza. She's like, Oh, you're blowing my cover. Oh, yeah. So uh-huh. yeah, that was good. I know. I good. know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, anyway, <laughs> so I, I do like when, uh, they, at the, at the very end when discussing, uh, whether or not Mr. Orange is the inside guy and mm-hmm. Harvey Keitel is just like, he's not, he's not, I, yeah. I, I do like the, I love that scene. I love mm-hmm. the dialogue between him and what, What's the old man's name? Uh, Joe. Joe. Yeah, yeah. Joe. I, I love that dialogue between him and Joe about, ah, it's a gut feeling. And he's like, well, he's, he, he's right. Actually, he should have trusted his gut. And between him, Harvey Keitel mm-hmm. and, um, Penn. Uh, oh, uh, nice guy, Eddie. Nice guy, Eddie. Yeah. Like that's, that's a great setup. That's a oh, great God, Mexican yeah. standoff. Mm-hmm. The, uh, quit pointing a gun at my dad. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that was great. Yeah. I, I, I love that entire scene. I, yeah. That's like obviously the pivotal point in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think it plays out so well. Absolutely. And the, uh, kind of camaraderie or the connection between Mr. White and Mr. Orange, uh, throughout the movie, like there's this sense of, respect and kind of caring that mr white gives to to mr orange and like i love that like the payoff of the whole movie is him saying like yeah, I'm, like, a yeah I'm a cop yeah and then yeah harvard cocktail's like oh, i'm gonna f- you're dead Boom. yep so great god damn it yeah i and like revisiting this movie for this podcast i was like i was kind of floored by like i could really appreciate the uh what made him what made Tarantino, what, what, what about this movie made Tarantino such a, like, I don't know if necessarily household name, but made him like get his start, um, get, get his foot in the whole Hollywood door. Yeah. Like it's, it's understandable. It's like mm-hmm. it's great writing. It's absolutely twi- turns at the right time. Mm-hmm. It's, he does an amazing job of writing very human characters mm-hmm. and he kills his own character off very quickly. <laughs> he does. He does. Certainly does. Yeah. Good for him. Oh yeah. Um I yeah. I really also enjoy the um so when Mr. Orange mows down Mr. Blonde you as a viewer you're like, "Oh, that's not going to fly with anybody." It's like, "How is right. he going to explain that?" And mm-hmm. when Nice Guy Eddie gets there and he tries to explain, I like how Mr. Eddie just calls him on his bullshit. He's like, "This is why that's <laughs> a load of load of crap." 
And so you're telling me that this man that just did time for us right. is going to come out and fuck us over now? No. Like, That's I, right. I really love that interaction between Nice Guy Eddie and that, uh, Mr. I, Orange. I love that. Just like you said, how quick it is. Like, he's just like, no. Like, Mr. Orange has created this whole, like, I like he has this, like, alibi, I guess. But it's just, like, immediately shut yeah, down. Yeah, Nice Guy Eddie is not, not even considering. It's like, yeah. you fuck, no. Fuck you. Yep. That's not what happened. So awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we can move on to Pulp Fiction here in a second, but like overall thoughts on Reservoir Dogs and, uh, I'm not going to have us rank the movies no, until the end, no. but we'll see. Um, how do you think it, uh, did your, uh, did your, uh, opinion of the movie improve or disprove? I, I think it's <laughs> a, a, about that point in my life mm. where this movie's it's going to stay at, at my level of likeness. Like mm-hmm. I, it, I really enjoy the film. I, it has a couple of issues here and there, but like it's, I no longer put on a pestle as like a, a sure. greatest movie ever, but it's a great, it's still a great movie. So yeah, and I don't see that changing. Like I, I have a new appreciation for it every time I rewatch mm. it. I, uh, I agree. I'm in the same boat. I really, think that this this time watching it was maybe i don't know if i'd be prepared to really say that it's the first time that i've watched it outside of the shadow of pulp fiction but this time was um this was a viewing where i could really like pick up on a lot of the things that uh i could appreciate about the movie outside of you know it being like a tarantino movie like i could really pick up on just the uh, genuine cleverness of the dialogue and the, and the the plotting and everything, and I could really appreciate the pacing and uh, the directing and like that indie that indie filmmaking style that is so uh, kind of infectious. Like you, you, it's it's a style that's <clears throat> easy to fuck up. It is, and when done right, it's it's amazing. And yeah, he does it right. And this might be kind of trite or cliched or whatever you want to say, but like. I feel like when that type of filmmaking is done right, it's like it's more special than like a big budget studio film because well, it, it it is yeah. because it's one of those things that these movies are extremely unique mm-hmm. and they're unique because there's not usually going to be mass appeal right for these movies and they're so they're always passion projects right and yeah. and so the, when they're done right, that's why they're all the much that's why they're that much better yeah absolutely um so pulp fiction what is your stance on foot massages um i would never give another man a foot massage only because i don't think they properly care for their feet okay okay you would never give another man a foot massage no i would never give another man a foot massage. would you give a man's wife a foot massage maybe only if he's watching in a, in a chair next okay. to me good yeah good. I, th- I think that's the only way <laughs> okay i'll send you a video to some <laughs> i'll send you links to some videos that you, you might enjoy uh yeah so pulp fiction <laughs> what was your initial like experience with pulp fiction and how has it how has your opinion fluctuated over the years since you first saw it well since i, I was 10 years old when it came out it took me quite a few years to watch it mm-hmm. so i i probably want to say that i was either 17 or 18 when i finally got to watch pulp fiction okay and there 
I don't recall a time ever in my life where I did not like this movie. Like nice. I, I know from the get go, I loved it. Like I said earlier, that this this I credit this movie as being the ones that really drew me in mm-hmm. to being a film uh, buff, just mm-hmm. loving the industry, loving loving film. So I've watched it dozens of times since the first time I saw it. Pulp Fiction was I remember specifically going to Best Buy. Uh, like two weeks before I went off to college to buy Pulp Fiction just so I would have it at, at college. So it's one of those movies that's been with me for for a long, well, you know, goddamn near 20 years, I suppose. Yeah. So damn. it's, and I I always love watching it. There's never mm. a part of the movie where I find dull or unentertaining, and I always am satisfied when I get done watching it. Absolutely. And I first saw it probably when I was 15, um, in high school and it's one of those movies that like my friends and I would kind of quote and everything and just love because, oh, this movie said fuck a hundred yeah. times or whatever. Um, but also, also I think part of my initiation into it, like my, like I went in, I, I saw the movie after like knowing about it. But I think one of the reasons why I knew about it was that the, uh, there's an episode of the Simpsons, uh, called 22 short films, yeah, in Springfield. Uh, Springfield. Yeah, uh, which kind of parodies this uh, to an extent, and like, like I remember that when I watched the f- when I watched the movie for the first time, and of course my neighbors uh, joke the thievery, um, but yeah, I I was just so fascinated by the movie i was really fascinated by the nonlinear storytelling and i yeah, thought that I, was the most clever thing ever that's probably the first movie i remember seeing that was of that nature yep and uh for years on this podcast for years i have wanted us to do a an episode that where we talk about like back when we did like topic episodes right um i wanted us to do a nonlinear lo- nonlinear storytelling uh movies episode but uh, have like 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 us record it straight and then me just edit it into a nonlinear structure. Um, That's a that that would be a thing. It would be. It would be. Yeah. And uh, we're on like almost episode three hundred at this point, And you're welcome for me not doing that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just it's it's carries on a lot of the stuff from. Reservoir Dogs that resonated with me, um, the just the storytelling and the clever dialogue and the brilliant pacing and everything is is all great, and it just seems like everything that worked well with Reservoir Dogs was amplified tenfold for Pulp Fiction, and it is it is one of the tightest scripted movies I've seen, and one of the just most uh, compelling and entertaining. And you know, and it's it's a damn near two and a half hour movie. Absolutely, but it doesn't feel it at all. I totally, yeah. totally agree. Yeah, I, it, it's amazing how much dialogue it is, but mm-hmm. how just you can't stop being yeah. entertained by the dialogue. It's amazing mm-hmm. interactions between characters. And what's amazing to me about Tarantino's work in general with writing is that. It is a heavy dose of dialogue. There's so it's so focused on dialogue, and so much of the dialogue does not matter at fucking all. Right. But um, it's but that's kind of the point, though. I mean, that's that's everyday dialogue. You know, exactly. That, that's 
people having regular conversations. It's yeah, it's creating an atmosphere for the story, right? And it's just and it's like even when it's the most mundane thing, like talking about coffee, um, it's like or, or fucking burgers and and like all of that. It's still the most compelling thing because I don't know. It's a combination of just the incredibly uh quick and uh smart dialogue or uh i I guess smart dialogue yeah uh like just quick-witted dialogue um coupled with just the way that they're that they're spoken that the words are spoken well i think it does a good job of getting the viewer to connect with a character Mm -hmm. without showing them why you should be connected to this character exactly films will show you you know this is why you should care about this Mm -hmm. character in you know flashback sequences yeah. or showing what they're doing about their everyday life that makes them special. Exposition. But you know this is just you, you. It almost makes you feel like you're there for the conversation, and mm. it brings that connection in my mind to the viewer with the characters. Yeah, and that's why you're able to connect with these characters that are you know for the most part terrible human beings. Right. But you get you have this connection with them because you you're just sitting there watching and listening to their everyday dialogue with other guys of that nature. And I think that just Mm. really brings viewer in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, this movie also really like the, I don't, I I don't know the history of Coca-Cola, but, uh, I remember like seeing this movie and thinking like, Oh, vanilla Coke. That's, uh, that's interesting. Cause it doesn't, uh, doesn't, uh, John Travolta order that? He orders a vanilla Coke. Vanilla Coke, yes. yeah. And then, like, I remember, like, thinking, like, oh, that's an interesting thing to order, because I didn't know that that existed. And then, like. If only he knew how many yeah. flavors of Coke we have now. Exactly. Like, what would, what would, uh, what would he think of orange vanilla Coke? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I find funny about that scene. I was thinking about mm. this the other day, how flabbergasted he is over a $5 milkshake. And right now, <laughs> that's still a pretty expensive milkshake. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I would say it's, it's closer to being, well, yeah, it is, it is kind of expensive. Like, you're not um, going to pay $5 at Steak and Shake for a milkshake. Oh, no. no. So, you know, that's a, yeah. And in 1994, mm-hmm. shit, that's an expensive milkshake. That is. It did look delicious, though. It did. No um, bourbon in it though, which I'd never heard of putting bourbon in the milkshake. I, yeah, me neither. It's kind of weird. Would you Would you ever try that? I would try bourbon just about any way. So okay. yes, nice. I probably would try that. Nice. Uh, yeah. So, what did you think of the plot and everything? Like, it's it's a nonlinear story. Um, that kind of brings about some interesting challenges from the filmmaking perspective because like that you have to hold the audience's attention and i think that's where he thrives is that he like you said he has these small little um spurts of dialogue that ultimately aren't really that important or anything but they give context to just the setting in the in the world and the characters and stuff and i think that that's where it thrives with this nonlinear story because you're trying to follow like the chronology, but it's also like, oh, this is just an engaging right. story well, about gangsters. And that's what I think it is. It's bringing the viewer into the world of mm-hmm. the day-to-day gang gangster lifestyle, yeah. which most people are going to find fascinating to begin mm-hmm. with. And the engaging dialogue just amplifies that for mm-hmm. the viewer. So while it's hard to say what the story of Pulp Fiction is, it is a great you know, documentation of 
these everyday gangsters. Yeah. You know, the, oh, yeah. the, this is the lives, these are the lives that they are living. The, these mm-hmm. are the things that happen in their day to day. And while they're not, there may not be a spe- specific plot point, it is engaging to see how they live their lives. Absolutely agree. Um, and speaking as someone who was, at the time, an everyday gangster. Uh, sure, yeah. Um, it's very true to life. Yeah, um, spark plug mafia for life. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, seriously, don't fuck with us, guys. <laughs> um, but... Uh yeah, what did you think of the performances and stuff? There's this. There's really insane. not a bad performance in mm-hmm. this movie. Like every like it, it's just tons better. Mm-hmm. And not to say that you know Reservoir Dogs had bad performances, but every one of this is just done an amazing job. And it's, it's more just refined. It, it is very much more yeah. refined. Uh, and you have more uh, seasoned actors in mm. it too. So, you know, you bring yeah. Bruce Willis in, you bring, mm. uh, Harvey Keitel back mm. and Tim Roth is back too. Yeah. Samuel, Samuel Jackson, L. Jackson, who is a God amongst films at I, this point. He, he really is. And watching like, like watching the hateful eight earlier this year and rewatching this and Jackie Brown, I was just like the, the, uh, the relationship between, Samuel L. Jackson and Quentin Tarantino's scripts is like a mate. Like I could, I could listen to that man just talk nonsense about anything. Yeah. Um, he, he knows yeah. how to write for Sam Jackson. He really does. And Sam Jackson, no, no matter what he's in, mm-hmm. you're drawn to him on the screen. He Absolutely. Is, he is an icon mm-hmm. and he's, he's one of those icons that has the unique ability to be able to be on screen and for the most part, me not think about Samuel Jackson, Absolutely. but to think about his character. Yeah. And that, oh, that's yeah. hard to do, especially with somebody that's been around for so long, like Samuel yeah. Jackson. Someone as prolific as him. It's like, you would think that any other actor who has done that much work like that consistently without like drastically changing their, like their kind of tone and their, their physique or anything, you would think like, Oh, that's, it's, it's Samuel L. Jackson. That's right. him. But it's like, there's this command that he has over every role. That's just like, I don't know. Something about him is just like, you don't, like you said, you don't really think of him as, Oh, Samuel L. Jackson on the screen. It's like, he's just, uh, he's one of job. the greatest actors that have ever mm-hmm. walked this earth. I mean, that's yeah. just, you can, you can tell me I'm wrong. That's mm-hmm. fine. But I, that's what I believe. And mm-hmm. I think that's a testament to, his character. Yeah. Like I, you don't see Samuel Jackson's roles. You see mm-hmm. his character and it's, it's amazing to me yeah. that at this point in his career where he has just been in just countless projects, I can still go to Samuel Jackson movie. I can go see glass and think, well, that's, that's Mr. Glass. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. It's, and that's, that's Nick Fury. Like that's right. Not Samuel Jackson. That's Nick Fury. Exactly. I mean, um, and, and I just, I love that after so many years, we finally have a movie where he's like playing with a cat, yes. <laughs> but, um, but in all seriousness, like, it's just, it's remarkable. The amount of, uh, the, the amount that he can disappear into a role without, uh, being <laughs> showboaty about it. Well, and, and that's the thing though. He's, he upstages people without upstaging them. He Absolutely. elevates whoever is in the room with, Whatever scene his he's in, he elevates that person to that level just mm-hmm. by his, you know, not to take credit away from some of the actors either because everyone does a great job. John Travolta comes out of obscurity in this movie and does a great job. Yeah, but it's 
just that much more satisfying mm-hmm. because Samuel Jackson is there too, doing what he always does. So exactly. the scenes between him and uh, John Travolta are fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I'm not taking anything away from John Travolta because he's great in this film. Right. But the cult, you know, putting him next to Samuel Jackson is just that it's, much better. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, and then also, yeah, the rest of the cast, Bruce Willis, his Bruce whole, Willis is great. It's it's amazing. Like uh, I would say, <laughs> I would say like you said that there is no real bad actor in the cast. I I'd say his his girlfriend in the movie was a little all right, touch but, and go. Yeah, but she wasn't like a central character or anything. Um, the the gimp scene, <laughs> um, the infamous gimp scene. Yeah, really rough. Um, yeah, that it was. Uh, yeah, yep. Uh, really intense. But it's so good. It though. is. Oh yeah. Like it, it. That's one of the first scenes that I remember saying, "Like this is just fucking ridiculous." Yeah. But this is so good. Mm-hmm. Like seventeen or eighteen years old, I had no clue what a fucking oh, gimp was. Same here. Yeah. I still don't know what a fucking <laughs> gimp is. I know. I don't even know what sex is. <laughs> I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> like, does he live in that box? Does <laughs> What's he do when he leaves the box? Does he have an everyday job? I don't know. Yeah, that's, those are all very valid questions. Um, I, first of all, I, it always kills me how much time Bruce Willis takes picking his weapon. Oh, I, I like, love that scene. <laughs> well, poor Ving Rhames is downstairs. It's great, but it's also like, I'm like, all right, all right, hurry up. I'm like, you know what's going on, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. And, and uh, I guess kudos to uh, The Simpsons for not i mean obviously they didn't directly parody that but like they had like a similar right scene well they time. weren't gonna bend uh millhouse's dad right. over a barrel and just <laughs> ream them and show them the 50 states yeah. <laughs> um to quote horrible bosses um yeah so uh what else about paul Fee? there's a lot of stuff to talk about yeah that's such a broad movie it's yeah hard to, it, any discussion Rings. about it is going to be uh you know scattered absolutely but yeah being Rames is great in his Totally uh, performance. Totally sold the kind of imposing, like gangster boss. Guy. And he is imposing. Oh my god, he is. I like, like Bing Rames. I wish he were in more mainstream stuff. Me too. Like, it, he's always been fun to watch mm. for me. I I like Bing Rames a lot. When so. I was revisiting the Mission Impossible movies uh, and watching them, and God Mission bless Impossible Mission Impossible movies. for keep giving him steady oh work. My, I know. Like every time he's on screen in those movies, I'm just like, on one hand, I'm like, he's. He, I love Luther. In the I movies. love like, Luther's great. great. Yeah. And then on the other hand, I'm like, that's fucking Marcellus Wallace. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And the whole MacGuffin thing with uh, the suitcase, like the briefcase. Yeah, the briefcase. Everyone, everyone like, has a theory. Yeah. I'm at the point where I don't care. I, you know, here. it's. It's, it's a like, plot device. It's all it is. Yeah. I don't need it to be Marcellus Wallace's soul. Mm-hmm. I don't need it to be I don't, an I don't Oscar. Know. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's, um, it, it's yeah. irrelevant. It, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't matter what's in it's, the case. It is It is a, a tried and true MacGuffin. Like yeah. it is truly like that is by definition, that is what it is. It does not matter. Um, and uh, yeah. So and. I, I like the visual of that, like just the way it shines on right. on their faces. I, I like that. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of uh, the overdose scene. 
Whew, that, yeah. That's an intense scene. Another intense scene. Uh, Eric Stoltz is amazing. Oh, um, he, yeah, he he's does great. A, all of his scenes are fantastic. Uh, absolutely. And I take the Pepsi Challenge against that shit any day. Yeah. <laughs> He's he's fantastic in it. And when I was a kid, and like I watched him when I was a teenager, uh, like I didn't know who he was or anything. And then, like revisiting it, like in my twenties, I was like, oh fuck, that's Eric Stoltz. Wow, I I had no idea. Um, that and then uh, the whole plot line with uh, Marvin. By the way, spoilers and everything. Marvin uh, does. Yeah, great scene. Like great shock. It, it really is. Just sitting oh, yeah. there. Pop. Yep. Oh man, I, I think you shot face. Marvin in the face. Why the fuck did you do that? <laughs> I didn't make. Car didn't hit no motherfucking bump. <laughs> and what's great about that is it leads to the wolf and Harvey Keitel and like that whole uh, that that whole sequence with the beautiful. dealing with his body mm-hmm. with Marvin's body is fantastic. Like I'll even give uh, Tarantino credit. He wasn't mm-hmm. abysmal to watch in his scene there, right? Because he he had some good lines, or, yeah, and he had a good reaction when uh the wolf is you know flipping hundreds at him yeah so like it it wasn't did, too distracting he, he, he did, did fine he was serviceable um i will i will say that um whenever i see it and uh i like <laughs> on one hand i get kind of worn out because it's like that's so much work that they're doing but it's also like oh my god i'm so fucking lazy <laughs> like i just want to clean everything right now you're just like ah oh, fuck it just take me to jail i know yeah right? i shot him in the face yeah yeah it uh, i yeah. love the conversation when they're cleaning the car mm-hmm. all i'm saying is i got a threshold jules <laughs> and i'm reaching my th- oh you you in the red <laughs> yeah that's oh, so, so good, good. Oh, I love it. And I love the kind of underlying kind of thing between John Travolta and Bruce Willis. Like, their characters hate each other, and then Bruce Willis ends up killing him right. in the toilet. Like, I, I love yeah, that. Yeah, that. that little interaction they have at the bars is so good. So great. And you have no reason what the background. What, why yeah. Why does John Travolta antagonize Bruce Willis? Right. Like, what, why? Yeah. Other than maybe for, you know, John Travolta's character just being a dick. Yeah. It's like, and I'm going to fuck with this guy. There was a theory... The, and I don't think it's been substantiated or anything, but there's a theory that, uh, uh, Bruce Willis, Butch, Butch, right? Butch, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that he's the one that keyed, uh, uh, Vince Vega's car. <laughs> um, and that's like what, like, that sparked everything. That, that seems completely out of character for Butch. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah. But um, speaking of Butch, mm-hmm. Christopher Walken scene. Oh my God. Iconic. It's amazing. Iconic. Um, and it's, it's so great because it's so serious and it's so, like, dramatic. And it's talking about a watch up an asshole. <laughs> and it's, it's classic Christopher Walken. Oh, absolutely. And he just, he nailed, like, he's in that mm-hmm. movie for three minutes, but yep. it's some of the best three minutes of that entire it's movie. So perfect. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's amazing. <laughs> this is so stupid because we've already established that we're, uh, we're recording this in the past, but it's just so amazing that like that the Russo brothers like took that scene <laughs> for inspiration for Ant Man to go up. That's and right. His ass. I can't believe they answered what they actually did. <laughs> right. And then when Christopher Walken was like, "I put that Ant Man up his ass," and I had that uncomfortable <laughs> hunk of man yeah. up my ass for three goddamn years. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Just iconic. Really great. Um. Yeah, the the whole idea of bad things happening to Vincent Vega every time he goes to the bathroom is, is a nice <laughs> running gag throughout it. 
Um, yeah, yep. Uh, and the whole storyline with Jules, like his his whole arc through the movie, how he is, you know, turning over a new leaf and he's reconsidering his line of work and everything, and he wants to walk the path of the righteous man and everything. Uh, just I I love the dialogue. The dialogue is, is fantastic, especially the scene between him and Tim Roth, where he's <laughs> trying to explain to Tim Roth his connection to yeah. the the bible verse he, mm-hmm. he gives that is just a f- fucking fantastic scene absolutely um and i <laughs> like occasionally i'll just have it in my head i'll just like um, tell the bitch to be cool say bitch be cool <laughs> oh me me and my buddy at work that do that all mm-hmm. the time like tell the bitch to be cool, bitch be cool. <laughs> i feel like i would get in trouble if i did that at my work we don't do um, it on runs i'm but. sure i'm sure you don't i'm sure you don't like James, tell that bitch to be cool, James. <laughs> oh God. Um, hey, remember when I made the pet shin? Yeah, joke? yeah, that yeah, was, was a good one. Um, uh, you're welcome. Uh, overall thoughts on Pulp Fiction? It's gonna be one of my favorite movies of all time until mm-hmm. the day I die. I same will watch it several times a year. Mm-hmm. I love it, and it's just. It's iconic. Have you ever seen it in the theater? No. Okay. I've never even seen an opportunity to do so. It has been uh, on kind of a rotation at Keystone Art for their midnight screening. Oh, has it really? Yeah. Uh, Tiny and I saw it at a midnight screening maybe five or six years ago. Um, I would love to see it in the theater. I mean, it plays really well on screen. Sure, I bet. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But anymore, like midnight screenings, I can't do it. I just, I can't do it. It is awfully late. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> were you making fun of me? No. Okay. No, you're... Because okay. I made the Petchin joke. Yeah, I know, no, <laughs> I remember. I remember that. <laughs> um, so yeah, Pulp Fiction, it's one of my favorite movies as well. It will always be. And uh, just really catapulted Quentin Tarantino into being a household name and uh, a god amongst film nerds like and us. Saved john travolta's career it did it resurrected it yeah. and uh yeah yeah good stuff and i'll never forget the the credits where they have the uh guy listed as coffee shop yep yep <laughs> god damn it, i'm that's just right. a coffee shop <laughs> I, i'd honestly forgotten about that. I love that. it's perfect <laughs> so great god damn it uh so yeah so Let's let's go ahead and move on to Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown. Uh which I feel like Jackie Brown was a bit of not anything that's coming off of pulp fiction like is not going to perform as well or be as resonant to to like fans of his as uh pulp fiction was cuz pulp fiction I feel like is lightning in a bottle with him. And you can't really capture that twice. So I have had kind of a mixed history with Jackie Brown. I kind of, when I saw it when I was a teenager, I was kind of bored by it. I thought it was kind of dull. And it is like, it is a movie that he adapted from, I think, uh, Elmore Leonard novel. Um, I didn't know it was an adapted screenplay. Yeah. It's, it's based, I think it's, it's based on a novel. I think he took a lot of liberties with it, but rewatching it for this, um, like every, it's one of those movies that every time I rewatch it, kind of like Reservoir Dogs, I gain a new appreciation for it and I can really like, like it a lot more than, uh, I've given credit to it in the past. Um, and this time around, I, I really, 
really enjoyed it for the way it's kind of a, a caper and the, the backstabbing and the, and the kind of the way the plot twists around and stuff is, is really fun. And it's a different kind of energy, but it's just as energetic as his past movies. Uh, what'd you think of Jackie Brown and what's your history with it? So I didn't see Jackie Brown until almost kill bill coming out. Oh, interesting. Uh, and the reason was that, I was trying to watch all Tarantino films before Kill mm-hmm. Bill came out. And so I saw it pretty late uh, in my uh, Tarantino, well, maybe not Tarantino career, but it was, it was pretty, it was a long time before I watched Jackie Brown. And mm-hmm. I, I loved it from the get go. And I still love Jackie Brown. Like every mm-hmm. time I enjoy watching it. It's probably one of those. I, I probably watch it at least once a year too. Oh, nice! I, I really dig this movie, and for for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. And I just I was happy to be able to watch it again. And I think it's I think it's just a great film. Uh, absolutely. And one of the reasons why I think it is it is so great and and well done. Uh, Robert Forster, he is super good. He's incredible. He, he really is. He does a great, for such a kind of an unassuming, mm-hmm. uh, looking guy, he really yeah. grabs your attention on the screen. Absolutely. He's like the ultimate character actor. Um, and he's, he's just, he's so phenomenal in this movie. And like coupled with like, uh, Pam Greer's performance and Samuel L. Jackson, like Samuel L. Jackson is unbelievable in this movie. I, and people will disagree with me on this one. I think, uh, Ordell Roby is a better character than Jules. Really? I Interesting. fucking love Ordell Roby so much. That he is fantastic. Huh. I he's one of the reasons that I love this movie mm-hmm. so much. He's so good. He is such a great character. He's such a dirty piece of shit. Yeah. But man, he does it well and he's a likable huh. piece of shit too. He he is. And like he has this this uh he has such such a confidence to him and a bravado to him like even though like a lot like a lot of characters like um oh my god what was her name um his his surfer girl and my, my little s- melanie melanie yeah. yeah she's my little surfer girl yeah i can handle like, melanie even like she, like she like she knows he's full of shit right. and like like he she's not afraid to like just tell robert Nero like yeah oh yeah he's just spouting off shit that he that he's heard before uh, i love the scene um, where he's like oh she tried to play you against me didn't she yeah and, and he's like what why keep it around i was like i can handle <laughs> melanie yep melanie is you can the one thing you can count about Mel- melanie is melanie being melanie yep god damn it yeah that you know okay so like my my gut reaction is say like okay okay like you're entitled to your opinion of thinking that he's a better character than Jules, but Jules, man. <laughs> no, it, it, but I totally get it though. Um, he is just yeah. with that undeserved confidence too. Yes, because it, it's like it's like Ian Malcolm. Mm-hmm. He did nothing. He had to display no discipline to obtain it. Right. I was like, he's done nothing to deserve his bravado. Yeah. He stumbled into a gun career, mm-hmm. and now, and like, sh- like Melanie said, he's just saying shit that he's overheard yeah. people. It's like you stood on the shoulders of geniuses, and <laughs> so it, it's it's the same thing, and it's it's nice. fantastic. It it really is, and that and like the kind of subtle ways that his character is. Um, 
kind of developed a little bit further. Like when, when, uh, <laughs> when I think it's Melanie says something to the effect of like, Oh yeah, he told you about, he told you about, uh, the 500 million or the, the half a million dollars he has in, in, uh, Mexico. Yeah. Cause he'll fucking he'll tell, tell anybody that listens. listens. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's just, I, I love that. Cause that's so in keeping with like that character. That's so, I don't know if I'd say insecure, but he's, he's like, he's such, such an egotist and he just has this, inflated sense of just purpose and and uh power that is like you said unearned right and um, he like he has some great character interactions like mm-hmm. his entire interaction he has with uh the the guy he gets out of jail yeah um uh beaumont yeah beaumont that, yeah i love that scene that whole, i love the scene of him getting at the apartment that him whole convi- sequence him, tra- him trying to get him into the trunk mm-hmm. of the car god it's good so like that is that is one of like my if i were to make a list it would probably be up there in my list of like favorite like tarantino moments um just like that the way that entire sequence is structured the way that he's like he's so um kind of cool and collect and everything he's like persuasive like every like like i just got you out of jail like you're yeah. you're home you're home free because of me super persuasive absolutely and, yeah. and like and then it's just just guns him down. It's, it's and, so, I, and I love so that great. sequence. First of all, I love the long shot of watching him pull Same off. Here. And then I love the it's it's you're far off. Yep. He pops the trunk. And, Motherfucker, I go. Yep. <laughs> that is brilliant. So great. And this the conversation Ordell has with Robert Forrester's character too. The <laughs> first time they meet, I think is fantastic. Yeah. Because Robert Forrester's character, he's a seasoned police officer, now mm. a, a bail bondsman, and he he knows exactly who Ordell is. Yeah. And he's just not buying any of this bullshit. But yep. he's running a business. He'll do what needs to be done. Yes. And so, in your profession, uh, I would assume that you've interacted with a bail bondsman. Not a lot, bondsman. actually. Interesting. It, well, you know, bail bondsman's not exactly the kind of career that it was a while ago. Okay. Just because there's so, especially in like Marion County, there's just, mm-hmm. there's divisions that go and pick up runners. Yeah. You know, that, that's all they do is go and pick up runners. Mm-hmm. And so bail bondsman anymore is kind of like, well, I have contact with the family. Yeah. I'll try to find, you know, I'll try to get info to so-and-so so they can get picked up mm-hmm. you don't see a lot of bail bondsmen out there serving warrants anymore okay right that, do you see them like hiding out in people's houses with a stun gun and no everything? that's what we like to call a felony <laughs> yeah. i was thinking about that as i was watching it, like wait wait okay <laughs> like i do you really expect me to suspend my disbelief for this right that that that's a bit much yeah they are not official law enforcement officers right. so. like i i spent i spent a spell of like three months of my life as a private investigator and like i i know that that's not right, you don't you don't get to yeah do that. i sat in a car outside of people's houses and told neighbors that i was on there on official business that's the extent of what i did um <laughs> Yeah, I also really had to take a take a shit during one of the stakeouts I was on, and it was that's awkward. Yeah, it was so awkward. And like I had the this is a stupid story. I had uh, <clears throat> told the told the other investigator I was with, like, yeah, I've, I've got to go take a shit. So I ran, like, I went to the gas station, and uh, as I get into the bathroom, uh, salt and pepper, uh, salt and peppers, um, <laughs> uh, is it called push it? Maybe I don't. Yeah, know. that song was playing, and I was like, oh, "Very oh, appropriate." Okay, yeah. Um, 
yeah, so that's me talking about poop. There you go. Uh, so Jackie Brown. Um, uh, yeah, he is great. I, I got a new respect for her, the movie. It was really good. Uh, and you know, Pam Greer does yep. does a great job too. She's fantastic in that role. She's amazing as just that. Uh, I don't want to say femme fatale, but like a like a confident, just like not taking anyone's shit. Been there, done character. that. Yeah. yeah um she's not the intimidated person like she's not she's not one to be intimidated by anyone her all interactions with her and or- ordell are fantastic like totally. especially when she's discussing uh how they're gonna play out the the money coming over mm-hmm. and he's like why'd you tell him that and she's like yeah i ain't telling them anything they don't already know <laughs> but bitch you don't have to tell them that 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 was great yeah um and michael keaton yeah. michael oh T- my God. yeah he's i had forgotten that he was in this movie and i i don't know there's something there's something to tarantino's writing like his dialogue there's something to the the way the words are arranged that bring out like a specific like type of cadence to the to the dialogue when it's spoken by an actor and like hearing michael keaton say Quentin Tarantino's lines is just it's it was just great like his yeah. voice matches that uh dialogue perfectly. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. You know his 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 role in this film kind of reminded me of him in uh Out of Sight. I never saw Out of Sight. Oh, well. Yeah. I I quite enjoy Out of okay. Sight. Does that have George George Clooney? Clooney. Yes. I don't know why you said George. So also has i'm gonna isolate this and then speed that up so it sounds like we're talking normally cool yeah yeah um just kidding we don't edit here Um, (laughs) so uh evidenced by me talking about shitting and uh being undercover with my cat uh so yeah uh robert de niro Niro, okay i weirdly love robert de niro in this movie because it seems like such a i don't know if i say stunt casting but it just seems like like you have robert de niro in the movie and he's playing this just nothing yeah it's just a subdued almost almost just beaten yeah beaten character but he's he's fun to watch on screen absolutely he's especially his later interactions with melanie are incredible so good. i i love it like they they get into like they become like bickering spouses right. um and when he shoots her it's just like like oh when he shoots so great it's i feel terrible saying that but yeah. every time he shoots her i laugh my ass <laughs> off here. it's hilarious it's so it's it's a great comedic and he's like huh, see god damn it oh it's so great he's like he's I don't want to say he's the innocent bystander of the whole movie or whatever, but like he, like when he gets shot by uh, Ordell, like it's, I I kind of feel for him because he just seems like kind of a dopey kind of character. And I do like that that line mm. by Ordell is like you used to be beautiful. That Man. was great. So oh yeah. So obviously there was a time where Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Robert, Down- Robert De Niro's yeah. character was <laughs> much more confident as, yeah. as a criminal mm-hmm. and, and respectful so, right so yeah. I, I really like that last interaction between those two same here um what did you think of the way that everything went down with the money and and the kind of i don't want to say heist but like the it's kind of a heist yeah uh how do you feel about the way that it went down and like the way that the 
it almost takes a nonlinear kind of thing where it just kind of shows different viewpoints and kind of circles back on some of the things. Oh, I think it's clever. Like, mm-hmm. I, I like it how, you know, you bring, it finally brings the entire uh, plan of Jackie Brown's together. Yeah. Because you're, you're not sure who exactly she's playing at certain right. points. You know she's playing people, but you're mm-hmm. not sure who's going to be making out at the end. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I like how it finally comes together and, you know, it's her and Robert Forrester's yeah. gig at the end. Me too. Me too. Uh, and I, I love them together. Like those two characters are okay. Agreed. They mm. have good scenes and they have good chemistry together. But mm. I am going to stand by that. That is the most awkward kiss in film oh, history. I, I'll That's agree. Horrible. With you there. It it really is horrible. I'm- it really is. But it's not like when I say that they're they're great together. I'm not saying like okay, they're great as like a romantic couple in the no, movie. No, like, but they have really good their scenes. chemistry. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's weird that those two would have such good chemistry, but it absolutely, but it happens. But it, it works. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Any other? We're, I mean, we kind of talked it out a little bit. Well, well any other scant thoughts about uh, Jackie Brown? Um, you know, it's uh, one of those films that makes you realize again that Tarantino's got a foot fetish because he loves Melanie's feet. Yeah, that's true. Really that loves true. them feet, but uh, yep. but no, man. I, I I had a lot of fun with this movie. Me too. I every time I watch it, I have a lot of fun with this movie. And Ordell Roby is fucking fantastic. Yep. Yeah. Uh. Just. I I love it as a vehicle for Pam Greer. Me too. But also for Samuel L. Jackson. Like the those two are kind of the powerhouses of of this movie. Oh, absolutely. Without, um, without a doubt. Yeah, and I think that it. I mean, it's a perfect. It's a perfect movie for their. Uh, their individual skill sets as actors. Don't forget uh, Debo. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's in there for like two seconds. Right. But. Also, Chris Tucker. Chris uh, Tucker. We kind of just I, that might have been Chris Tucker's like first role. Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah, because Friday was maybe a year or two after that. I think is, or maybe uh, around the same. Maybe year. around the same time. Yeah. Debo and uh, Chris Tucker back at it together though. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, it's a it's a Friday, well not prequel, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Debo really turned his life around. Yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, I I got nothing. Um, yeah, I think that should just about do it. You know the uh, uh um Michael Keaton's partner is the uh, buck that likes to fuck. Oh yeah, uh, Michael Bowen. Is that was I yeah. didn't know what his name was. He but. Uh, he he did uh, several guest spots on Lost. Uh, um, that's where I know him from. I, I don't think I ever realized who he was until like this view, and I'm like, that's Buck who likes the fuck. Wow. Well, we're going to be talking about him uh, soon. Yes, we are. Yeah. Uh, next time on the podcast, we're. By the way, do we have anything else to say about these first three movies? Uh, no, I think it's. I will just say this: I think there are three great starting points mm-hmm. to launch his career. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think it's he keeps he starts off good, hits his stride with Pulp Fiction, and mm-hmm. just keeps on going with Jackie Brown. Yeah, so. and obviously, obviously, we're both going to say Pulp Fiction is the best of the three. Sure. Um, where like, what do you think is the better of Reservoir Dogs and Jackie, Jackie Brown? Brown? Okay, nice. In, in I, my opinion, I love Jackie Brown. I'll I'll agree with you honestly. After this view, I w- like before this viewing and before this whole project, I would have said Reservoir Dogs probably just on reflex. But I really gained a new appreciation for. I, I really Brown. find that Jackie Brown's like the forgotten film Same of Tarantino. Here. Oh yeah, and I, I I don't know why. Maybe 
it, it, you're right. It is hard coming off of Pulp Fiction. Yeah, like that's all. It's impossible to top. Like absolutely. So Jackie Brown coming next is it's almost destined to be forgotten, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I I love it, and I yeah, you know, I think it deserves its praise. Abs- absolutely, and like I think part of that is. I don't know. I, I just remember there being kind of not a stigma against Jackie Brown, but like a like a, a drop off in in uh, in positive stuff toward. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. You, yeah. You, people rarely talk about Jackie Brown. Right. Which is weird because like these three movies, I mean, they're all crime movies. They're all similar. I think if Jackie Brown had come out before Pulp Fiction, we would talk about it differently. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's interesting because, like, we like I like I saw Reservoir Dogs after I saw Pulp Fiction, and I had watched Reservoir Dogs in the shadow of Pulp Fiction because of that. Right. And then watching Jackie Brown, knowing that this is the movie that he made after Pulp Fiction, was still also in the shadow of Pulp Fiction. Right. <laughs> um. But yeah, watching it, watching it now with a more you know refined, uh, Pilot. mindset. Um. <laughs> yeah. Uh. I I really gained a new appreciation for it. Um, so yeah, I think that'll just about do it for this episode. Uh, this is the first episode of our three part retrospective on Quentin Tarantino's uh, directing uh, film stuff. <laughs> <laughs> film doing things. Film doing things. Uh, next time on the podcast, we're going to continue this uh, roller coaster of a retrospective uh, with our part two of Quentin Tarantino, our Quentin Tarantino retrospective. We're going to be covering Kill Bill Volume One, Kill Bill Volume Two, and Death Proof, um, which I'm actually really excited for all three of them, really. But Death Proof, I'm very curious about because Kurt Russell, man, I love Death Proof. He's so great. He is. Um, yeah, and I'm looking forward to that. Um. Yeah, so that all about do it. Any any parting thoughts before we close out for the night? No, no. All right, say we're good. Great. Well, uh, I don't have any uh, Quentin Tarantino references off the top of my head, so I'm just gonna oh, close good. it out. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Enjoy your foot massages and uh, have a great day. Does he look like a bitch? <laughs> nice. Does he look like? Say what one more time? <laughs> what ain't no country ever? Man? <laughs> All right, thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to ObsessiveViewer.com slash OVArchive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer and follow us on Twitter at obsessive viewer and at obsessive tiny and follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike white. That's me at R a Fekus and at burger underscore lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. 
For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! Kitty!